Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.
His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharaj, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. This Gandhavati Thandra Acharya, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Kantaraj Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai. Samavita Bhaktivedanta Ki Jai. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. Hare Krishna. All glories to the assembled devotees. Hare Krishna. All glories, all glories, all glories to Shishi Guru Gauranga Jai. Jai Srila Prabhupada. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Continuing in the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, the creation of the fourth order, chapter 6, Brahma satisfies Lord Shiva, text 35. Vidya Tapu Yoga Patam Astitam Tam Tam Adhishvaram Charantam Vishva Sukhridam Vatsalya Lokamangalam Vidyatapo Yogapatam Astitam Tamatishvaram Charantam Vishva Suhridam Vatsalya Lokamangalam Vidyatapu Yogapatam Astatam Tamatishvaram Charantam Vishva Suhridam Vatsalya Lokamangalam Vidyatapu Yogapatam Astatam Tamatishvaram Charantam Vishva Suhridam Vatsalya Lokamangalam Thank you. 
Vidya knowledge Tapaha austerity Yoga Patam the path of devotional service Astatam situated Tam him Lord Shiva Abhishvaram the master of the senses Charantam performing austerity etc Vishva Suhridam the friend of the whole world Vatsalyat out of full affection Lukamangalam auspicious for everyone Jai translation and purport by his divine graces Sipakvedanta Swami Shri Prabhupada Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai the demigod saw Lord Shiva situated in his perfection as the master of the senses, knowledge, fruit of activities, and the path of achieving perfection. He was the friend of the entire world, and by virtue of his full affection for everyone, he was very auspicious. Please repeat. The demigod saw Lord Shiva situated in his perfection, as the master of the senses, knowledge, fruit of activities, and the path of achieving perfection. He was the friend of the entire world. And by virtue of his full affection for everyone, he was very auspicious. Does anybody know a word for auspiciousness in Sanskrit? Mangalam, there's another one. Can you give us another one? Padra, there's a third one. Shiva. Shiva also means auspicious. His very name means auspicious. Srila Prabhupada's purport. What an auspicious language. There's three words just for auspicious. <laughs> Think of that. Purport by Srila Prabhupada. Lord Shiva is full of wisdom and tapasya, austerity. One who knows the modes of work is understood to be situated on the path of devotional service to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. One cannot serve the Supreme Personality of Godhead unless one has achieved full perfectional knowledge in the ways and means of performing devotional service. Lordship is described here as Adhishvara. Ishvara means controller. And Adhishvara means particularly controller of the senses. Generally, our materially contaminated senses are apt to engage in sense gratificatory activities. But when a person is elevated by wisdom and austerity, the senses then become purified and they become engaged in the service of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Lord Shiva is the emblem of such perfection. And therefore, in the scriptures it is said, Lord Shiva is a Vaishnava. Lord Shiva, by his actions within this material world, teaches all conditioned souls how to engage in devotional service 24 hours a day. Therefore, he is described here as Loka Mangala, good fortune personified for all conditioned souls. Could I get an eighth candle, please? Thank you. 
Om Jnana Timirantasya Jnana Anjana Shalakaya Chakshurumilitam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurube Namaha Shri Chaitanya Manopishtam Stapitam Yena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamahyam Dadate Svapadantakim Vanchakalpa Tarupyashcha Kripasantupya Evacha Tatitanam Pavane Pyo Vaishnavet Pyo Namo Namaha Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhara Shri Vasadi Gauda Bhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna Vidyatpo Yogapatam Astatantamatishvaram Chalantam Vishva Suhridam Vatsalyalokamangalam The demigod saw Lord Shiva, situated in his perfection as the master of the senses, knowledge, fruit of activities, and the path of achieving perfection. He was the friend of the entire world, and by virtue of his full affection for everyone, he was very auspicious. Jai. So if you'll all bless me, then I can say something that'll be useful. Otherwise, not necessarily. So it's up to you how you want to spend the next 45 minutes. Hare Krishna. Um, so we see in the word for word, Yogapatam, the path of devotional service. And Prabhupada translates, it actually literally means the path of yoga, the path of achieving perfection, and specifically it's devotional service. That's the supreme path. Now, what we have, this scene is, the whole drama is played out now. Really, it's all played out. That's just the last scene. And Lord Shiva's been offended. Sati has left her body, willingly, out of just complete desire to, to not be associated with an apparati. And uh, Lord Shiva was very angry. His followers wreaked havoc on the offenders. And they retreated, those who were offended. And they took shelter of Lord Brahma. They said, look, we don't know what to do. We're being crushed here. And Lord Brahma said, you have to go take shelter of Lord Shiva. You've offended him. But he's extremely merciful. If you go and you take shelter and apologize, everything will be okay. And that's what they're about to do. This is the, the vision of him as they're approaching him. So we're seeing the darshan, we're receiving the darshana of a pure devotee here through the eyes of the Bhagavad through the eyes of the demigods. They're seeing him situated in his perfection as the master of the senses. They can see that he has control over his senses. The master of knowledge, of fruitive activities, and, and the master of devotional service. He was the friend of the entire world. He had full affection for everyone, and because of that, he was auspicious. So it's quite the, it's quite the scene, and they're actually able to recognize Lord Shiva's glories, which if they had done in the first place, would have forestalled any of this drama, because the entire problem was that one person and certain other followers who were sympathetic to him um, was systematically unable to appreciate the glories of a Vaishnava because of their own deal, their own hang-ups. And it created such a nasty situation that it was only rectified by actually appreciating him. And uh, 
it seems very simple, but actually that's the essence of the thing, is that Krishna is a person, and as a person, he invests his glory in his devotees. And one who can appreciate the devotees without being envious, whether they're a devotee themselves or not, actually makes tremendous advancement. In the Srimad Bhagavatam is described that devotional service is so great that if you come in contact with it, whether you perform it or even you just appreciate the devotional service of another, you become so elevated that even if you were somebody who hated all the demigods, you were actually a very hateful person, the 11th canto says, you become purified just by appreciating the service of another. So here we have a, a vision of the appreciation of Lord Shiva. Shukadeva Goswami appreciates Lord Shiva. He's saying, Maitreya Muni is saying, and the demigods were actually able to see because of their humility, they had to have a serious beating. <laughs> Literally, they had to have a beating uh, to have that vision. But once they had that, they were freed from the problem in the first place. The problem was an inability to appreciate, and simply appreciating him was really enough. Because the next step is, of course, after appreciating him, they're going to glorify him and come close to him and take shelter. And he's going to willingly give his mercy. What other business does a Vaishnava have? They have no other business in, the, in this world but to help other people. And that comes out in the word-for-word and purport. Vishva Suhridam, the best friend of the Vishva, of everyone, the entire universe. So, the devotees are actually situated in that way. And the more advanced one is in devotional service, the more capable they are. Although they may feel incapable, the more capable they are to actually function as the friend of others. Because they're acting in harmony with Krishna. In the neophyte stage, one thinks that they're actually a really big deal. <laughs> they think that actually they're God's gift to everything. <laughs> God's gift to, you know, I mean, if you're like a great musician, you think you're God's gift to music. Uh, if you're a great speaker, you think you're God's gift to the ears of others and with your words. Whatever it may be, you think you're like you're all that and a bag of chips. But the more advanced you get, the more you realize that Krishna is actually fantastic. He has all qualities. And only when I'm in harmony with his will can I function as a transparent medium for that. And that's a very liberating realization. And it's a supremely liberating process. And it's also a very uplifting process because, as I pointed out, Krishna invests his glories in his devotees. He wants his devotees to be glorified. He wants his glories to get the credit. He wants his glories to get the attention. He wants Srila Prabhupada on this Vyasasana, being worshipped by us every morning. Every time I'm on that altar, 7.20 in the morning, after I finish the Artik of the Lord, we have the announcement of the book scores by Prabhupada's mercy, and then we have Guru Puja. And I'm looking at Gornitai, Jagannath Balibhaspati, Radha Govinda, and they're looking right at Srila Prabhupada the whole time. And I'm thinking, what is in their heart that they're, what are they feeling? They must be feeling so much satisfaction that Krishna is seeing his devotee being glorified. Because this is his nature. It comes out in the Shastra. This is Krishna's nature. In the last verse of the Brihad Bhagavatamrita, a tremendous, all-time, groundbreaking work of Vaishnava ecstasy from Sanatana Goswami. Sanatana Goswami says, Glories to the son of, of the king of Raja. Glories to the son of Nanda Maharaj. Who is full, I'm paraphrasing, he's full of all great qualities. He's completely independent and self-sufficient. And he invests those qualities 
in his own devotees and gives them the ability to serve him. And then he receives their service as if it was a very great thing. This is Krishna's person. This is his nature. He wants his devotees to be glorified. So whatever kind of nonsense we may be, or whatever kind of nonsense we may think we are, if we surrender to the path of devotional service, by Krishna's mercy, we become qualified to be the friend of the whole world. Lord Chaitanya is looking to empower people in that way. That's simply his nature. So, if anybody has ever had the desire to do good for others, if they've ever looked at the world and saw that there's a couple of problems here, there's a couple of things that I, could, I would change if I had the ability to, there's a little bit of suffering going on. If they've begun to notice the ocean of tears that's created by unlimited jivas weeping, uh, unmitigated sorrow, birth after birth, if they've noticed that through their own suffering or through their keen observation of the universe around us, and they wanted to do something, then we have tremendously good news for you. You actually can for once, by Krishna's mercy. Um, a lot of great devotees in our movement had this realization, perhaps when they were very young, that I want to do something special. I don't want to have a run-of-the-mill life. I want to do something that helps other people. And even persons who don't, in this lifetime, manifestly practice devotional service have this realization that really the whole purpose of the thing is to serve. One of the most materialistic friends I ever had growing up, in my college days, we used to get up to no good together. We had a serious conversation one time. This is way before I was practicing devotional service. And he said, you know, it really all comes down to serving other people. That's really what it's all about, just helping other people. And I could see that underneath all that crud that he'd accumulated around his heart, God bless him, he actually understood that's the, that's the basic thing. That's what we're here for. And he didn't know how to do it. He, he had no idea how to help people. Um, I say with all respect, he really didn't know how to do it. And if we can understand that our own ideas, our own independent ideas of how to help people have never helped anybody, they've actually never helped anybody in the long term. If we have the humility to see that, and Krishna will help you see it, when you start practicing devotional service, you'll get that realization. And boy, howdy, it's something. You start to see, like, I've been trying so hard in so many ways, and this is all it's done for me. I've just created heartache, confusion, uh, by independently trying to make up my own ideas. You have this plan-making factory. The mind is a plan-making factory. Uh, when I entered the Brahmacharya ashram, I asked this holiness, Devamrita Swami, how do, I be, how do I achieve success in this ashram? How do I get the most out of it? And he said, Bhakti Sam, no, I was initiated at that time, he said, Shami Pras, just turn off the plan-making factory of your mind and surrender to Krishna's ideas. He said with this chuckle, and I said, okay, Maharaj, I'll try my best. And despite my inability somehow or other, I've been able to do it for short spurts of time in this ashram and in this, in this bhakti yoga process. And that's the whole point, because when we start to do what Krishna wants us to do, we realize these, these are some really good ideas. I really think that chanting Hare Krishna is good for me. I really genuinely think that after all, so many decades of not waking up early in the morning, actually waking up early in the morning is a better idea. It's objectively a better idea. I would not have come to that conclusion on my own. Somebody had to push me. And 
in this case it was devotees, motivated by the desire to get me to chant in Brahma Mahurta. So these ideas that Krishna is giving, the whole process of bhakti yoga, these are great ideas. And if we take to them, we become a very sharp, powerful weapon in Lord Chaitanya's hand to cut away the suffering of others and to cut away our own. And uh, Lord Shiva, he's beyond the sadhana stage. He's actually displaying the professional level of this. So I wanted to glorify him a little bit, which I hope I've done. And also to glorify the process of bhakti because I think that it's a near universal thing and intelligent persons want to help others. When I was studying biology in my undergrad, I thought if I help the bodies of others, then this would be good. And that wasn't enough, so I took a double major in psychology at the same time. Well, if I help their minds, that'll, that'll be helpful. And everybody I was taking a class with, like on some level, felt that way too. They wanted to help themselves, and they also wanted to help others. And then I thought, well, that's also not enough, so I'll do a master's degree in public health, because public health means, as my thesis advisor said, turning off the sink instead of just wiping the floor and mopping it. Finding out what problems you're causing and stopping them instead of just trying to deal with the symptoms of the thing. Because I was into like lifestyle adjustments and like what could you do if you actually got people to quit smoking and adjust their diet and all these. And it's motive goodness thinking actually. Motive goodness means you sacrifice in the short term for long term benefit. But it still wasn't enough. But the point is, through all, throughout all of it, everybody I met who was advanced in their field had that realization. They wanted to help other people. They, whatever they were doing was a justification of that. Like, I took a neuroscience class and one professor was into like uh, uh, cranial, like brain anatomy and so she had these rats and she performed horrible inhumane experiments on them that I won't, I won't mention what I had to witness but she did all of it because she was like her endeavor to help people because the research was like, you know, aimed at health and People can do anything based on that because that's a very, very powerful drive, the desire to help. Wars are started on the basis of that, both just and unjust. And if we harness that, if we find that place of sincerity where we actually start to feel like a shadow of like, compassion for ourselves and also for others, then that can be harnessed and tied to the engine of bhakti yoga, which will really take us to where we need to be going. And I was reminded of this verse from the 8th canto, which is about Lord Shiva, interestingly enough. You see, in today's verse, we hear about he's a friend of the whole world, and by virtue of his affection for everyone, he was very auspicious. And Prabhupada clarifies, Lord Shiva is all auspicious because he teaches all, devotional all conditioned souls how to perform devotional service. He's always engaged in austerity. He's taking on austerity. So in the Bhagavatam, eight, let's see, I have it written down here, eight, seven, forty-four. We'll get there one of these years. In eight, seven, forty-four, four cantos ahead of where we are right now, it is said, Tapyante Lokatapina Satva Prayasujanaha Paramaratanang Tati Purushasyakilatmanaha. It is said that great personalities almost always accept voluntary suffering because of the suffering of people in general. This is about Lord Shiva accepting the austerity of drinking the poison that had been churned out of the ocean of milk. We heard that glorification from uh, Nithai Prabhu. It became Nilakanta. He actually has this blue line on his throat. It's his trophy 
It's this trophy for doing so much good for people. He just took that in his throat and neutralized it because he could. And it's an austerity because he didn't have to do it. And it wasn't exactly pleasant. The Calicut poison was quite intense. It's described that the slightest amount of it would have killed any normal person. But Lord Shiva took on that suffering. Why? Because he cared. He actually cared enough to do it. And the verse goes on. This is considered the highest method of worshiping the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is present in everyone's heart. The highest. This is the highest method. Krishna affirms that in the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 6, text 32. Atmao pamyena sarvatra samam pashati yorjuna sukham vayadivadokham sa yogi paramomataha. That is the parama yogi. That is the best yogi. Which one? He is the perfect yogi who, by comparison to his own self, sees the true equality of all beings in both their happiness and their distress, O Arjuna. So, we have two insights into Krishna's nature here. One, he wants his devotees to get all kinds of credit. And two, he wants to uplift fallen, suffering persons. And one who helps doing that is considered the best of all yogis. So you put these two together and you have a process for perfection. Even if somebody is not perfect, and by definition, anyone who's coming into the sadhana practice, unless there's some kind of descended Shakyavish avatar, is not perfect. Just by practicing, they can harness their innate desire to help other people, and they can actually, one, help themselves by practicing bhakti yoga, two, help other people by being an example of practicing bhakti yoga, three, fulfill Krishna's desire to help other people, including themselves, by practicing bhakti yoga, and eventually, four, fulfill Krishna's desire to be a sterling example of someone to be deeply, deeply admired by being a very advanced devotee. Krishna wants that. He wants his devotees to be admired. So these things happen in stages. And I wanted to focus in the last few minutes on a very practical thing that we can do to plug into this process rather than talk about, oh, yes, let's all be worshipable paramahamsas. To get there, one thing that we can do, which I just mentioned now, is to exemplify the process of bhakti yoga for others. Lord Shiva is doing that, actually, in this verse. Prabhupada says, hmm. let's see, He teaches all conditioned souls how to engage in devotional service 24 hours a day. Therefore, he's Loka Mangala. Because he's doing that. He's doing that. Just by, just by walking the earth, he's a benefit. I was here one time. Um, there was a class given by His Grace by Sheshika Prabhu, a Guru Maharaj, and he was glorifying... Um, uh, I'm trying to remember his name again. Maharaj, who... Stay here with us for a little while. He's taking some, some health interventions. He lives in uh, Kansas usually. Daniel Maharaj, yeah, and he started with me. Sorry, Maharaj. I'm a conditioned soul. Memory's not so good. Daniel Maharaj is a great saint, and he stayed with us and came to the morning program despite all kinds of health difficulties for a long time. And after the class, Daniel Maharaj was there, and my Guru Maharaj said, he was just glorifying everybody. I think he was about to leave that day. And he said, Maharaj, I just want to thank you for walking the earth. That's all he said to Maharaj. And I thought, yeah, that's it. You know, pure devotees, they're just, just, by, just by being here, just by being with all of us, we're, we're grateful for that. 
So Lord Shiva, he didn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to exemplify the process of devotional service. He can live on his own and just remember Krishna and be happy with it. But by doing it, he's actually showing us how to come to his level and how to actually um, take this practice into our lives. Now for all of us who aren't Lord Shiva, aren't on that level of a Paramahamsa, Mahajana, still we have some practice by the mercy of the devotees. And if we embrace that, for ourselves, we get benefit. And also, actually without even trying to, just by doing that, we help other people. Because the world deeply needs examples of devotees. It needs examples of devotees who are Paramahamsas coming across the ocean with no pennies, nothing, no friends, and starting worldwide movements. And it also needs examples of persons who are in the middle of a material life and come to Sunday feast and all of a sudden start chanting one round a day or one round a week and start to achieve some real benefit. Because you know what? Those persons also have friends and people who look at them and say, hey, what's up with you, bud? You look different. Oh, yeah, yeah, I go to the Hare Krishna thing and I just, I do this thing where I chant like God's names like for eight minutes a day. And it's pretty cool. And they have their realization. <laughs> they actually have a realization about that. And whether they know it or not, that's tremendously impactful. Um, so much so that I know personally many very advanced devotees whose first invitation to this movement was through somebody who just never practiced devotional service but came in contact with the devotees. My own Guru Maharaj had a friend who was not interested in devotional service, Richie Corsa. Richie Corsa got a book from the devotees. Why did he get a book? Because somebody decided to, to follow Prabhupada's instructions somewhere. And because of that, I got a Guru Maharaj today. Thank you, book distributor. Now this friend, Richie Corsa, got a book and knocked on my Guru Maharaj's door and said, buddy, I know you're into this whole thing. My Guru Maharaj was taking a, a vow of silence at that time, trying to find some spiritual advancement. And it came to him. Krishna came to him in the form of these books. He said, I got these books from Hare Krishna. They got my money. I'm never going to read it, but I know you're into this. He slipped it under the door for him. And the rest is history. Richie Corsa never practiced devotional service after that. I mean, maybe he did here and there, like unknowingly like that. But he was a book distributor. He made one of the great book distributors of our movement by introducing him to Krishna. Because he knew this is something. There's something in this. And this person's looking for something, so I'll just give it to them. That was his devotional service. If we can even do that much, we're practicing devotional service. We're representing devotional service. What to speak if we're sitting down, chanting Hare Krishna 16 rounds a day, controlling our senses to follow the four regulative principles, or trying our darndest, reading the Bhagavatam, who could, what can be said about that person? That person is actually very, very powerful, whether they realize it or not. But it's a funny, it's a funny thing, because they have a dual existence. They're in the fire of bhakti themselves. They're burning away all these impurities. They're looking at all this sludge running off their subtle body, and they think, I'm useless, I'm gross. At the same time, they're actually exemplifying purity for everyone else, because compared to the rest of the universe, they're actually a great hero. Confirmed. Someone's knocking at the door. Someone wants to be one of the heroes. Come on in. Prabhupada said there's two kinds of heroes in the world. One of the heroes is the person who never tries to control their senses, lives fast and dies hard, and is a total rock star. I'm paraphrasing his words. Of course, it's sarcastic because they're not really a hero, but that's what's idolized in the material sphere. The other hero, he said, is the one who controls their senses. Somebody who controls their senses is actually a hero. Because who's doing that, right? And the devotees are, are, are 
actually heroic because they have a degree of sense control that non-devotees don't. The devotees are actually heroic because they have a degree of knowledge that other people don't. They have a degree of austerity that other people don't. They have a degree of devotional practice that other people don't. Hare Krishna. Is that Hare Shah? Good Lord. Who else is behind that door? You got any other sadhus with you, Prabhu? You got any other sadhus back there? Just you? You're the only sadhu, okay. Just checking. Good to see you. No, never be sorry. I'm always happy to see you. So, so devotees actually have qualities like that. And I wanted to I use this class to encourage devotees because I know that I feel like I'm in the middle of this uh, process of having like lifetimes of sludge flow out of my subtle body. And it's deeply humbling. <laughs> it's pretty intense and gross. And, uh, and that's there. That's real. You know, that's going on. At the same time, there's a way in which Krishna uses anybody. He can use anyone in his service. There was a great devotee uh, in Vrindavan. His name was Lal Babu. He became uh, very renounced and gave away. He was actually a great wealthy merchant. And then gave away everything for, um, for deity worship to support the worship of Krishna in Vrindavan. And he was, like anybody who lives in Vrindavan, he knew who Krishna was. You know. But he was, he was engaged in his Vaishya Dharma. That was his whole thing. And um, are you leaving? Wow. Hare Krishna. And he had he had like a quick he had a, a quick kind of run in with somebody on the street. Not even a run in, like he was just walking home, and a mother was calling their child. Lal Babu was this wealthy merchant. He heard this mother call their child. The mother said, "Okay, it's time to come home." You know how many times does a mother say that? Like. Every day, practically, to get their kids to come home. I, I, my mom had to say it to me, just to get me to stop playing. Okay, time to come home. He heard it. What did he hear? He heard Krishna saying, it's enough. This is enough. Now come back to me. And something clicked. We don't know what that mother was, what kind of sadhana she had. She could have been a total materialist. We have no idea. But she said, time to come home. And he said, oh, that's Krishna. All right, I'll do it. He gave away all his money and became a great sadhu. And you can go to the Lal Babu Mandir in Vrindavan and see the, the, the result of that. You can use anybody in his service. You can use non-devotees in his service. You can use complete demons in his service. So why wouldn't he use somebody who's chanting Hare Krishna for two hours a day, asking him for service in his service? He can do, if we accept theoretically that there's a God who can do anything, and we accept that we're actually asking him, use me, we should understand that that's happening all the time. Most of the time, we're not going to be aware of it. Most of the time, we're not going to be aware of it. But the, the reality is there. We're actually, um, we, pos we possess, by Krishna's mercy, the ability to deeply influence other people, even without trying to, just by being situated in bhakti. What to speak of Lord Shiva, who's a Paramahamsa? And by virtue of his full affection for everyone, is very auspicious. Dhira dhira jana priyo priyakaro nirmatsaro pujitao. The six Goswamis were worshipable, Pujito, because they were near Matsara. They had completely gotten over the tendency to criticize others. That's a symptom of the most advanced devotee, given in nature of instruction, actually, by one of the six Goswamis, Rupa Goswami, he says. One is actually uh, free from the tendency to, to criticize others is a very advanced devotee. So the six Goswamis had none of that. They were free from envy, and everybody loved them. 
the devotees love them, and even the non-devotees, people just love them. Sanatana Goswami was beloved by every single person in Vrindavan. When he left his body, the men all shaved their head as if their own father had left out of deep mourning because he was a Paramahamsa. And when you're around that kind of person, you notice it. Whatever you're doing with your life, you notice it. So many people notice Srila Prabhupada. So many people appreciated Srila Prabhupada because Prabhupada was a Paramahamsa. He left Vrindavan. He had love for Krishna. And even somebody who never heard the word Krishna, who didn't know anything about the science of devotional service, appreciate it. You know, we've... Uh, the family who hosted him in Butler, Pennsylvania, you know, we've, we've heard from the mother there, years later, what it was like living with Srila Prabhupada. Having this Paramahamsa, like, it's like a sitcom almost, like, what happens if we put a Paramahamsa in with an American family? What does that look like? <laughs> it's <laughs> when worlds collide, right? But they could tell that this person is not in this world. He has something about him. I remember when my, my parents met my Guru Maharaj, uh, they knew nothing about the philosophy. I'd never told them about the philosophy. I mean, they knew that it was theistic and basic things. Um, and he didn't really get into like the nitty-gritty of the talk. He just had some kirtan, little talk, little prashad. And he was just himself. And they melted in front of him. I just saw it. They just melted. And to this day, my mom refers to him as Mr. Smiley. Because she'd never seen anybody so happy. I haven't seen anybody so happy either. Because he's a, he's a pure devotee. So that's what pure devotees can do. But if you represent a pure devotee, like you can bring your parents to, to see a pure devotee. That's pretty good. That's, that's a pretty good thing. But you can also act as an agent in the rest of your life. You can go to the grocery store. And you're in line in the grocery store. And what are you dealing with? You're dealing with somebody whose job it is to press buttons for 12 hours. Their boss doesn't like them. Their coworkers don't like them. The, the, uh, the people coming in, the customers don't like them. They got nothing going on. They're more bored than anybody you're ever going to meet. And if you just say to them, hey, what's up? I'm a monk. I'll share a blessing with you. Can you say Goranga? I can tell you from personal testimony, they'll say Goranga, and it'll be the high point of their day. Be like, yeah, that's a blessing. It's an expression of happiness. And then I've had like a 50% success rate of them kind of ask me, like, What's up, by the way? Like, are you like one of those Hare Krishnas? And they get a card. And like, I met one person used to come to the Sunday feast, and they were reminded of it because I talked to them in the, in the checkout line, in the middle of their drudgery. And they're like, yeah, I should, yeah, I like, I like you guys. I should come back. Of course, I wear this cloth too, which helps. But whether whatever you're wearing, you can represent. So, the invitation's there, and um, that's the path of Paramaratanam. As the eighth canto of verse says, that's the highest way of worshiping Krishna. That I got a lot of work to do my, on myself. I'm trying to do it, but I'm representing bhakti. However, I can represent bhakti, whether it's this cloth or that cloth, whether it's this color or that color, whether it's you know with my friends or on a stage in front of everybody. It doesn't matter as long as you're re representing bhakti by a taking the process yourself and not being ashamed of it and letting Krishna use you. Just asking him to let 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 him use you then you will be used and it'll be great for everybody. And the person who's holding the hose who, that's streaming out like the greatest power of, of water is the first person to get cleansed. So you, you get actually extra mercy by doing this. So th those are my thoughts um, on Lokta Mangalam, this, this quality of Lord Shiva being auspicious for everybody. I don't think I have anything else. Yes, yeah, so just to summarize, we heard about the demigods having this darshan. They're finally seeing Shiva for who he is. Shiva, auspicious. 
They're seeing his qualities. He's on display there. Master of the senses. Anybody who can master the senses is glorious. And then he's, what to speak of is a master of devotional service. And by that, they're, they're becoming freed of their offense because that was rooted in the inability to appreciate. Which, by the way, Jiva Goswami defines as envy. Envy is the inability to appreciate the glories of another. And when applied to a devotee, that's the worst, most pernicious form of envy. So they're getting freed of that now. And we talked about Lord Shiva's qualities, and we talked about the glorification of him in the eighth canto, where it says that the best quality of the best form of worship is to actually take on suffering for the, the well-being of others. And I mentioned how so many people came to this movement because they wanted to do good. And that's a natural human thing. We talked about that. It's human desire to do good for others. So we can activate that by doing good for ourselves and being an example of bhakti. Because nothing else is gonna is gonna cleanse like bhakti. And if we do that, we'll be used. We will definitely be used. Mahaprabhu has no other business but to use people who want to exemplify bhakti in his service. Om Tat Sat. Now we'll take comments, questions, reflections, corrections, and anything else. Yes. I really like the point you were making about just being, just walking the earth, mm. and and how it's not that we need to be Paramahamsa mm. to just be, but to actually to actually live sort of in our stretch zone, like actually have a nudging ourselves and, and actually stretching to the point where we are, we are doing, we are in that, that good flow where yes, it's, it can feel sometimes difficult, but sometimes it actually helps to, to think, oh, I'm not actually, even though I don't personally want to do this, I'm going to do this because if I do this, it encourages other people to do it too. And sometimes that helps. That maybe I don't want to go to Bhagavatam class or morning program or I don't want to be there for Guru Puja because I'd rather whatever, this or that, for myself. But I'm going to go because when I show up, I have my feet and I show. And it encourages other people. Just one more person, two more people, it, it feels it's very encouraging for others. Thank you. And then as a little bonus, you, you actually get a whole bunch of credit from Krishna too, whether you're looking for it or not, or even have faith in it or not. Mahabharu says, whether one has faith in them or not, those five essential processes of bhakti are very, very mystically powerful and can purify one and give all benediction. So, yeah, coming in touch with those is always good. And, um, yeah, there's a very deep thing, the desire to help other people, because, you know, even like materialists, I heard once in a class that, you know, if you're depressed, if you're suffering from depression, which is a serious thing, you know, it can really hit, it can really drag you down where you just can't, you don't want to lift your arm, you don't want to do anything. If you're just suffering like that, one of the best things you can do to help you get out of that is to try to help other people, actually. Try to put yourself in a position where you're around other people who are unfortunate and do something for them. Because you get, you get ra rapidly empowered by doing that. You, you could still be suffering from depression. You know, it could still be like, this thing that you have to spend some time and energy getting over, but you get a lot of benefit just by, yeah, like putting yourself in a position where it's like, I don't want to do this, but maybe someone is suffering as much as me. And um, I feel like a useless sack of nonsense. But I'm sure because of that, that other people also sometimes feel like that. And then you can give something back based on your realization. And that's real. That's real. That's really powerful. I mean, heck, that's the basis of like 
the 12-step programs, which were started by Christian devotees that, you know, they're, they're populated by persons who are made some advancement in dealing with their addiction. They, they, they know, like, I have this problem, I'm going to be an addict for the rest of my life, but I've, I've like, um, I'm dealing with that addiction by not indulging in it, and I'm supporting other people and helping them get over their addiction too, so they can see somebody one, five, ten, twenty years down the road and see that, yeah, you can continue in your sobriety, right? Um, so at that, even in those dark places, it's, it's certainly possible to, to do service for others. What to speak of, you know, in our lives, that we, maybe we're very fortunate in many ways to have devotional service, but if we feel ourselves incompetent in some way, fallen in some way, well, good news. Bhaktivinoda Thakur thought he was fallen. Prabhupada said, you know, Bhaktivinoda Thakur could have done everything, but out of his mercy, he left service for us. Prabhupada thought he was fallen. So you better think you're fallen. It's like, that's our tradition. If you think you're fallen, that's, that's, that's fine. You mean, you're just qualified to receive mercy. And, um, and part of that is to be put in touch with others who are also going through some heavy stuff. And maybe you're going through some heavy stuff once upon a time can be an inspiration for them because you're able to turn the corner. And if you're going through some really tough things, uh, just remember that there are other, other devotees who went through that too. You're not alone. And if it helps you, consider that one day you can be the one of those people yourself for someone else. What better gift? Mother Nidra. I just wrote this article for the newsletter because I've been seeing some stuff in my own consciousness come up. I was reminded circumstantially of some, uh, a time in my life when I was very much 
uh, I put my spiritual practice, I was way before I met, met devotees, but I put my own spiritual search on hold. Ever since I was a child, I was sure that I needed to look, out, look for God. I was certain of that, but especially in my 20s was uh, a decade of, of willful abandonment to that. And I was reminded of that in a very poignant way. And I was uh, able to see, um, once again, but with greater clarity than before, how Krishna actually had gave me specific lessons in that time to help me put, put me back on track. And that culminated in meeting devotees. And so I wrote this article for the, the Temple Newsletter about accepting the lessons that come. That, that this is the mentality of devotees. They're, they're actually, um, because of their sincerity to advance, they actually start to see how things that happen to them, circumstances, are arranged by Krishna for a higher purpose. And it often doesn't make sense at the time. Um, when I was going through whatever I was going through, it made zero sense. No sense at all. It was just like unmitigated suffering. But uh, it, it humbled me and purified me to the point where I actually realized I needed help. And um, that's a great place to start. And so that's one lesson. But there may be other very specific lessons that we're going through. And in the purport to the famous verse, Tatenu Kampam Susimik Shimano, where Brahma says, in his great humility, after he was deeply humbled by realizing he had offended the very person he's dedicating his life to by playing a prank on Krishna in Vrindavan, stealing his own friends out from underneath him, Brahma was so humbled. He has this realization, he says, actually, one who just goes on serving you with their mind, body, and words, and accepts whatever comes back to them, and sees, this is just what I needed. This is just for myself. It's, there's nobody in, nobody, no one else has any fault but me in this, and I accept it, I'm not a victim, and I'm not gonna stop serving Krishna. That person becomes qualified to come back to you. And the Acharyas comment on this extremely deep verse, 10, 14, 8, um, that Krishna, he detects the devotee, he detects their surrender, and he takes away their karma. So what is this, what is this thing of, of receiving some, some reaction back? It's not actually karmic anymore. Because the point is that, the Acharyas point out, there may be some remnant in the devotee's heart of a desire to enjoy the world in a certain way. Uh, enjoy the world means like to have a, an independent conception of themselves and to, again, have a tendency to fall back down through that. Because of that, Krishna protects them by giving them very, very specific, particular reactions that they need to learn what they need to learn to not do that. And one who can see that actually accepts these things in their life as Krishna's lessons. If you can, if you can get a hold of one thing in your life that you're sure was arranged by Krishna, and you can remember that and never let it go, then when stuff starts to happen, and it will, then you can have something concrete to look at and say, well, you did it last time, Krishna, so please wave your magic wand and show me how this is making sense this time. Because he'll do it. I can promise you that. He, will, he does do it. That's his only business with his devotees, is to extract them out of the maze of the material world and take it back to himself. So if we can see how it happened for other people, and we see how it's happening for us, then when stuff happens and doesn't make sense at the time, then we have something to actually rely on. That Krishna, he's got the intelligence. He's pretty strong. He's pretty capable. He knows what's, what's going on. He's doing something here. Um, I, can, I can only see half a step ahead of myself at a time, but there's, there's going to be something better 
ahead because there's this intelligence behind all of this. It's not random. Nothing is random, especially for a devotee. Um, so yeah, that's what the article was about. And that was the experience that led up to it from my own end. And I think it's a very universal thing. I think a lot of devotees can relate to that. Um, because it's, it, things get pretty intense in this place, the material world. And if you, uh, if you start to practice devotional service very quickly, I think you, you can start to see how a lot of the sufferings of different things in our life were actually crafted for us to teach us lessons. And the main thing is to not forget that lesson that we're actually being instructed all along, to remember that, so that when things happen more and more and more, we don't just throw our hands up and say, there's no reason behind it, why is this, this is useless, um, but to patiently abide, to stick with it. That's what Brahma says actually gets you to the kingdom of God, that very attitude. So, yeah, I hope that helps. It's 901, do we have anything else? All right, I feel purified by being with all of you and Bhagavatam and Lord Shiva. So hopefully we can uh, try to exemplify bhakti for ourselves and others. And, uh, and remember that Krishna, he, he's the kind of guy that wants to put his devotees up on pedestals and, and purify them and, and give them all kinds of help so we can expect all kinds of help from them. And if we surround ourselves with other devotees, then we're doing his, his business for him, which is to glorify the devotees. Just be around the devotees and appreciate them, and we'll make advancement. Hare Krishna. And tomorrow is Ekadashi, which means you get a special bonus on your devotional service. And breakfast is here. Because we just got the, 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 the shipment through the car snowstorm. Shri Prabhupada, <laughs> <laughs>